the scriptures teach us how to walk with God. The scriptures teach us how to walk with God uh, by, as we've described this summer, by shedding light on our lives. And the challenge I've set before you as your pastor is that this summer that our lives be anchored in the scriptures. And so we have reading plans uh, out in the hallway. If you want a hard copy, there's also, I think Sunday afternoons, we'll uh, send those out um, on the church's Facebook page, maybe through an email. Uh, But the scriptures teach us how to walk with God by shedding light on our lives. And that's what we've asked, that we prayerfully take a chapter, uh, five of the seven days of the week, and we allow God to shed his light on our lives to teach us how to walk with him. One of the scriptures that I think about is in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Um, last week, we started in, in these series of sermons, uh, Living in the Light, and there were two uh, truths that I set before you just to lay some groundwork. And it was these truths uh, that God sets the standards, and He clearly communicates those in His Word, and that uh, one part ruins the whole. And so there's a challenge that we, we can't dismiss any one area of our life because it's only 1%. No, it is. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly equipped to every good work. The question that I, I want to entertain this morning if, if our groundwork is that God sets the standards and one part ruins the whole, and we saw that in Achan's life in Joshua last week, what happens when we fall short? Because it becomes, it seems from a human perspective, this, this becomes uh, an insurmountable goal, so much pressure to perform Um, what happens when we fall short of the standards that God has clearly communicated? Um, I want us to turn in our Bibles this morning to 2 Samuel chapter 11. You can look in your Bible if you have a hard copy. (laughs) You can look on your phone if you'd like to look digitally. Or if you're a visual learner, you can just look up at the screens, okay? It's going to be up there too. 2 Samuel chapter 11, a story that is very familiar to most of us, and it comes from the life of King David later in his reign. Um, This is the story of David's sin with Bathsheba. 
And I want us to see what the Scripture would teach us today. What do we do when we fall short? Uh, and it sounds like God's going to send thunder for emphasis. So anytime I preach a point and then there's thunder, you know God really liked that point. I would pay attention. Second mm. Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. This morning I'm not going to read the rest of chapter 11, but I would, I would have you note even and we talked about this last week, David is led astray by his eyes. He acts then on the lust of his heart and he commits adultery with Bathsheba. She becomes pregnant. This is going to give us a little bit of timeline for chapter 12. But chapter 11, and it'll be one of our chapter readings, I believe, in a couple weeks, uh, there are a string of choices that David makes and events that unfold. In essence, the cover-up of the adultery led to David uh, being guilty of murder. And so if we're just talking about kind of some biggies in chapter 11, David's sin, who I'll remind you the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart, we're going to have to talk about that here in just a minute. David violates, uh, he commits adultery, and I believe in God's eyes he is guilty of murder. Uh, this isn't necessarily on our screens, I didn't include this, but the end of chapter 11, the end of it, it says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Uh, if we put it in terms of what we're talking about this summer, living in the light, by the end of chapter 11, David is not living in the light. In fact, he's living a lie. He's living not in the light. He is living in the shadows of what I would call self-deceit. And the bottom line is David is out of fellowship with God, which we're going to see later in the sermon, is the most significant aspect of the whole story. By the end of chapter 11, David is out of fellowship with God. Pick up the story in chapter 12. God sends a spokesman. <laughs> Equate it this morning with God's word. God sends word. Fast forward, it's about a year because the baby has been born. So you have the nine months and, you know, I don't know how many, how old the baby is, but uh, let's just say it's, it's been a year. For a year, David has lived out of fellowship with God. I read one 
scholar who said this week, we can probably assume David didn't write any of his psalms in that year. Um, hmm, not really a good time to be writing psalms when you're out of fellowship. But chapter 12, God sends a spokesman by the name of Nathan. And I want to read the first six verses. It says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan's a prophet. And he came to him and said to him, and notice what he says. There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Time out. Let's pause at the end of verse 4. It is interesting that God not only sends a messenger, Nathan the prophet, but the message, in essence, is a parable that David doesn't know it's a parable. He thinks that Nathan is relating a real-life situation, and he was, but this is a parable. Um, I, I thought about that this week, about why does God... Why didn't God just tell Nathan, just go, boom, what is he going to say later? You're the man. You're guilty. No. And I think the reason psychologically is because it is easier to see sin in someone else's life than our own life. And so the prophet just starts with, hey, let me tell you a story and let me get your reaction to this. And David objectively, from his perspective, can see it, but most of the times in life, it's easier to see it in others than it is to see it in us. And I think that's where David was. And so uh, the prophet's coming in the back door. This is David's verdict. So David's anger was, verse 5, so David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. <laughs> and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. David's verdict was he deserves to die and he needs to pay fourfold for his violation. Um, David can see it in someone else's life, but that is not the point. The punchline in verse 7, and I just want to read the first part of verse 7 is one of the most dramatic punchlines, statements in all the Bible. And it says in verse 7, Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. And then he begins, the end of 7 and all the way through 12, to talk about the sin that David has committed. The prophet in that moment pronounces the judgment of God on David because 
of his sin. There's a very simple verse, and it's the last verse I want us to look at. It's verse 13. Uh, I, I want to read from Psalm 51, but this is the last verse in 2 Samuel 12. This is David's response. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. For a year, David has lived in his sin and out of fellowship with God. When he is when the word of God comes to shed light on his life and to expose his sin, David's response is repentance. He agrees with God. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. There's something I want us to see, but we'll see it in Psalm 51. In that moment, and it's quite honestly... There's a couple things from my humanness that I'm offended by. One thing is that David says, I have sinned against the, the Lord. We're going to get to that in Psalm 51. It's like, what about Uriah the Hittite? You had him killed. What about Bathsheba, who he's taken his wife at this, as a wife by this point? The other thing that just, it grates me a little bit. It, it appears in the scripture that Nathan immediately says, God has forgiven you. And I want this to lead us to what I believe is the most significant dynamic in this circumstance that not only David passes through, but we pass through. And I want you to understand, at this point, that what God does, when, when it says, when Nathan says, the Lord also has put away your sin, you shall not die. One thing is David said, the man ought to die. The prophet said, you're not going to die. Why? Because of his repentance. Uh, now, the reality is, is there are going to be consequences for David's sin. In fact, it's going to be fourfold. David spoke it. That's the way it's going to play out. What I want you to understand at this point when God forgives, he restores David relationally to him. I want you to get that. In fact, I want you to also understand before we read Psalm 51, that the reason David says, I have sinned against the Lord, is because the most significant consequence to sin is it places us out of fellowship with our creator which is the very core purpose of why we exist and of course I, I'm looking at it I'm looking at the collateral damage for his sin it's like well this wasn't just about God this was about Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite and I don't know there was probably other collateral damage done here but the most significant consequence to sin is that it, that it alienates us relationally from God. And when God forgives, understand this, the consequences for our sin in the earthly sense are not taken away. 
But when we repent of that sin, we are relationally made right with God again, which is the most significant aspect of all of our existence. David, as a man after God's own heart, knew that. That's why he says, I have sinned against God. In fact, we see the depth of his repentance, which seems a little simplistic in 2 Samuel 12. In his statement that he wrote surely days later in Psalm 51. And let me read this. I want to read 17 verses. I know it's kind of long. This is what David says. In fact, the, the, the prescript to this says that this is when he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And he had repented. And so notice what David says. And I, I would really encourage you, and this is also one of our scripture readings a couple weeks from now, I'm not sure. David says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin my mother, in, in, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear the joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your joy. I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. There's one thing I want to I take my last ten minutes and focus on. And this is, this is, for me, the most significant aspect, dynamic, of this story. And it is the relational dynamic. If we miss this, we really miss the great significance of this story. The most significant dynamic in this story is the relational dynamic. It is not so much about rules as it is about 
the relationship. What broke the heart of God and why David was out of fellowship with him, yes, is because he had committed sin, but the greatest consequence was that he had lost his right standing with God. He was out of fellowship. He was living what I described as in the shadows of self-deceit. He was not living in the light. That is not only what broke David's heart because he was a man after God's own heart, but please understand it, it was, it was what broke the heart of God. And I don't mean to minimize the sin that David committed God because of his sin. He was out of fellowship. I mean, the answer to the prophet's question, can two walk together unless they are agreed? The, answer, the obvious answer, which is implied in the way the question is asked, no! Two people cannot walk together unless they, are, they agree. I want to say at this point, it's not a matter of God agreeing with us. Understand? Because God is the one who sets the standards. It is about us agreeing with God, which is what repentance is. It's when I come to the place to say, I have been, I have been out of line, whatever it is, but repentance says I agree with God and I'm grieved because... It has alienated me from God. Uh, the relational dynamic is the most significant. It is the greatest consequence to David's sin. This is what I want you to get, though, this morning. It is also the most significant dynamic from God's perspective. I, I've said from... From David's perspective, the human perspective, the problem, the greatest consequence of his sin was that it alienated him from God. It broke his fellowship. But from God's side, the relational dynamic was also the most significant because it broke the heart of God. Not so much that David had broken the rules but because of that, he was out of fellowship with God. One of the things that occurred to me, and I've looked at this story many times. Some of you have been for, here for all 34 sermons from 2 Samuel chapter 12. One of the things I realized this week was God sends Nathan out of love for David. If it was about condemnation, the prophet would have just come with hellfire and brimstone and a smackdown. It's like, you sorry, no good. It's about to beep there, but I don't think that's appropriate, is it? I can't go. Yeah. Probably not. You know, just this sense of that God would have just sent wrath. But, it's, but, but it occurred to me, why does God send a parable? Because he wanted David to come to the place where he saw the sin in someone else's life so he could see the sin in his own life. God sends Nathan out of love. It wasn't about condemnation. It was about redemption. And this is something I think is very significant for us today. As we come to the Scripture 
And the scripture speaks to our life. Understand that whatever God says to us, it's not so much about the rules. It's about the relationship. It's not about God beating us down, tearing us down. But it's about God building us up and God redeeming us. God speaks to us when we are out of fellowship with him, out of love, to say more than anything, I want you to be in a right relationship with me. That's why I speak truth to you. Not because I'm just this big authority figure who is enforcing the rules that I've set. It's not about the rules. It's about the relationship. But God said, if you want to walk with me, then we have to be agreed. God wants us in a right relationship with him. And it occurred to me this summer as we look to the scripture and we allow it to speak to our hearts. <laughs> you know, I thought some of you may sit there. I know you would never say this to the pastor. It's like, why would I want to put myself under that kind of scrutiny? Why do I want to go to the scripture every day and have it point out everything I'm not doing right? That seems a little negative, pretty negative, and pretty judgmental. Why would I place myself under that kind of scrutiny? And I say to you, you're looking at it wrong. Because when you look at it from the God side, understand that whatever God speaks to you in truth, in his word, he speaks out of love because more than anything else, he wants you to be in a right relationship with him. The relational dynamic is more important than anything else. It's about the relationship, not about the rules. There's something else, one, kind of one last thing. That when David repents, he repents out of love. I, I got to thinking about that this week, that God sends word out of love. But when David repents, he repents out of love for God. It is a statement that, that when David was confronted with his sin, what broke his heart, and we see this in Psalm 51, more than anything else, that it, that it had broken his relationship with God. And he, I know he didn't see it because I think he lived, as I described, in the shadows of self-deceit. But out of love for God, he wanted to be in a right relationship with God, but he knew he couldn't walk with him unless he agreed with God. And you know what? I think that's what makes him a man after God's own heart. You would think a man after God's own heart would be perfect. No, that's not it. It's not that David was perfect. It's that when, it's that David valued and loved God more than anything else and he wanted to be in a right relationship with him and when he failed, when he fell short, it broke his heart that he had lost his connection with God. It's about the relational dynamic. It's not that the man after God's own heart is perfect, but the man after God's own heart values his connection and relationship with God more than anything else. It's not about rules. 
It's about the relationship. But there is a connection between obedience and love. I thought of what Jesus said in John 14, 15. And it kind of, eh, kind of seems a little bit off to me. But if your preacher thinks something and Jesus thinks something else, go with Jesus, okay? John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. This is a foundational truth for us for this summer, for the rest of our lives. Obedience is to be an expression of our love for God. Why do I want to be obedient? Just to follow the rules? Uh, if it's just about following the rules, then it's, it's going to become religious practice. But it's if I want to be in a right relationship with God and this thing, this attitude, this action, this thing I've omitted, I don't know what it is. If that keeps me out of that relationship with God, then I love and I value God more than anything else. And God, I repent of that because I love you. If you love me, keep my commandments. It's not about the rules. It's about the relationship. But obedience is always an expression of love. In fact, disobedience indicates a lack of love. Because if we love God more than anything else, then we don't want anything that would hinder that relationship. I want to close in prayer. Why don't you stand this morning? Two things I want you to understand before I pray is that as we come to God's Word this summer, that whatever God speaks to you, He speaks out of love because He wants you to walk with Him. The second thing is that our response to God's Word is an expression of our love or lack of love. Because it's not about the rules, it's about the relationship. The relational dynamic is more important than anything else. And when God shows me that, which is keeping me from walking with Him, because I value Him more than anything else, I love Him more than anything else, I want to walk with Him, my response to that, whatever hinders my walk, is repentance. I want to pray. Before I pray, I just want you to know that I will be at the front of the sanctuary. If you have decisions to make, if you would like for me to pray with you, if you have a decision about church membership, salvation, um, I'll be around the sanctuary as long as people are here to visit with you. Uh, if you're giving your offering, obviously you can do that online, uh, but also we have offering boxes in the back if you need to drop off your offering. And thank you for your faithfulness in that, uh, in our church. Let me pray. Father, today we uh, thank you out of love for us that when we fall short, that you desire to restore us into a right relationship with you.
And so, Father, we pray that our response uh, to your word would always be motivated out of love for us to have that relationship restored to you. And so, Father, I pray as we anchor our lives in your word this summer that, Father, you would speak to us, speak to us this week. And, Father, may we be agreed and may we walk with you. And, Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed. I'm at the front if you'd like to visit with me. Thank you.